0: you you and I stand on the shoulders of men and women who've gone before us obviously as a church we stand on the apostles and their teaching we also stand on the generals of we might might think of the uh, reformation but there's also those that who've gone before us here in New England and actually in Rhode Island and southern Massachusetts and I bring that to our attention because Each generation has a responsibility to leave a legacy for the new generation.
1: Today on the Songtime broadcast, we'll continue our summer psalm series. This message from my good friend, Chap Bettis, will talk about how to leave our legacy and our faith onto the next generation as we consider those who come behind us. May they find God to be faithful. But first, we're going to be talking about how to trust our Bibles and how to understand the questions that the next generation is asking. We're joined by Bill Mounts as the many voices are coming together for that one message I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. Can we trust the Bible more than just a resource of history? Is it accurate in telling us what happened in the past, but also today, 2,000 years later, can we still trust it as a document, as a source to guide us and direct us on how we ought to live today? These are questions that are being raised within our culture, and we here at Songtime would say, absolutely, it is an infallible document. But it's not something that we have to accept by blind faith. In fact, we believe that you can examine the Bible by every level of scrutiny and still, with eyes open, accept the reliability of the Word of God. Well, our guest today is Dr. William D. Mounds. He's written a book called Why I Trust the Bible, Answers to Real Questions About Doubts People Have About the Bible. He's also the author of the books that I'm most familiar with are his uh, Basics of Biblical Greek Grammar. As a scholar, he knows a lot about this subject, and I'm really excited to delve into it today. So, Bill, thank you so much for being a part of the many voices for that one message. I'm glad to be here. Why don't you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself. I know you, obviously, from your academics books, you know, the uh, my time in grad school and uh, um, even before that in, in college, my undergrad, of using your books to work through biblical Greek. So, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and uh, your obviously, your influence on biblical exegesis, and even in this, which is more apologetic. Yeah,
2: well... Um, Yeah, raised in an academic family and uh, fell in love with New Testament studies with my first class in college. And I went through and got an M.A. and a Ph.D. and started teaching. And I taught for, well, my first job was was, uh, teaching part-time and skiing full-time at a school (laughs) in Colorado. I know the Lord knew I needed a break from my time in Scotland. Then I taught for 10 years at a, a specific University, took five years off, went to Gordon Conwell uh, in Boston. And when I was there, I realized that I really belonged in the pulpit more than the po- on a podium. So went back to Spokane and started a church and just thoroughly enjoyed um, preaching. And then some things happened, and we just decided to kind of start over. So we moved to Washougal, a little town that nobody knows about except Mel Gibson, who happens to live there. And uh, we're just now in the process of uh, moving up to our cabin. The main thing I've been doing most of my time is writing and working on my nonprofit, uh, biblicaltraining.org. The other thing I've done a lot of those translation work, and I was the New Testament chair of the ESV, And then when that was done, I had about a three-year break. And then I currently am on the CBT, the Committee on Bible Translation for the NIB. And so I think I've been on the CBT for 11 years. So I have a a really neat mixture of academics and practical uh, issues. And uh, I love translation work and writing on Greek. And so you're right, this is the first kind of trade book I've ever written.
1: Yeah. And I think it all kind of culminated to this, right? I mean, all of your background in both pastoral as well as in academia kind of brings to the point of this book in particular, why I trust the Bible, because it's bringing those common questions I think everyone has, but you're approaching it from someone who has dealt with it at a very high level, but able to communicate that to the common man.
2: Thanks. Yeah, I mean, I, I speak quite a bit on Bible translation and other things, pastorals, um, but the question that kept coming up, no matter where I was, um, the story I like to tell is I was in South Africa lecturing on the pastorals. And, but all the questions during the downtime was issues related to trusting the Bible. And so it's a, it is the question of the day and it's being asked around the world by all, almost all people, all Christians. And uh, so, it was the right time to write the book.
1: Now, this is a completely different approach to it because, you know, with Bible work and and translation work, this is more of an apologetic. So, how did you kind of get into this sort of answering the questions that are being raised when uh, a lot of your previous work had been in really just kind of the, the, the studying, the breaking down, and the understanding of the text?
2: Well, is when I was out speaking and I kept getting these questions about the historicity of the text or the authorship of the gospels, or, you know, do we get the right books in the canon and, and those kinds of stuff. And I I published uh, exclusively with Zondervan, and I realized they really didn't have anything on the topic. So I said, I, I need to, I was asked getting asked the questions so many times. I said, uh-huh. well, if no one else is going to do it, I'm going to have to do it. So, but it was fun because I, I researched it as a textbook, and I wrote it as a pastor. I don't mm-hmm. know that's a I I think it's the best way to say it. I had to write it for eighteen-year-olds who were freshmen in college, and I, who were getting inundated with the Bart Ehrman stuff and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I had to write it for their parents who are watching their kids go through these crises of faith. And so the best way to do that as a is to write as I preach. So mm. that's, that's why it's a different kind of book for me.
1: We've been talking with Bill Mounts, who is the author of Why I Trust the Bible, Answers to Real Questions and Doubts, people have about the Bible. You can find out more information about the book by giving us a call. It's 508-362-7070. Or you can head over to our website at songtime.com. There's always much more to these conversations than what you get to hear on the broadcast. So I encourage you to check out our podcast or even our video series on the various book interviews that we do. And this one in particular, was a real great joy for me as someone who I've been reading this book since my college years, and a great resource as we consider how to answer these questions. I love to talk to scholars, people that actually know their field really well and have academic credentials as well as peer reviews. Uh, these guys are real stalwarts of the faith, and I'm proud uh, to represent them here on the Songtime broadcast. We try to bring some great teachers on a constant basis because we believe that you need to hear from the best. You need to hear from the the greatest of the Bible teachers and as well as pastors and those experts that are national, that are global as well as those who are local, because we want to give you resources that you can fill your cup and then overflow and that you might splash on those around you. That's really our heart and our hope and our model. You are a part of the many voices for that one message. And one of the ways that you partner with us is not only by being encouraged, by listening and then passing on that information with somebody else, someone in your home, someone in your community, someone in your church, but also by supporting the work that we're doing here with your financial gift. We are 100% supported by our listeners. So if you have been blessed, can I encourage you to be a blessing in return? You can write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com. Well, today we are continuing our summer psalm series, and this message comes from a local pastor and minister here in New England. It's my good friend, Chap Bettis. As we're working through these psalms, several of them have various topics, and this one in Psalm 78 talks about how to train the next generation. It's really a call to pass down our faith to those who come behind us. Now, I think this is a very important subject, and my good friend, Chap Bettis, has founded a ministry called the Apollos Prophet. He's also authored the book, The Disciple-Making Parent, and he helps parents and churches and communities understand this very central point, how to pass down our faith to the next generation. So honestly, I couldn't think of anyone better to preach on this particular topic. So this week, as we look at Psalm 78 and thinking about passing our faith down to those who come behind us, we go now to my good friend, Chap Bettis.
0: Well, this past Sunday, I had the privilege to be down in Pennsylvania I was, uh, went to Shanksville. You may not have heard of that town, but that's actually where the Flight 93 Memorial is. Do you remember Flight 93? September 11th, 2001, 37 people got on this flight in Newark, and they looked on this empty plane that could hold 182 people. And they said, there's only 37 of us. We're going to have a great day. And instead, as you know, what happened is, as they were just out a few minutes, that uh, terrorists uh, killed the pilots and then turned Flight 93 back to Washington, D.C. And it's believed that they were headed toward the Capitol building. But well, we also know, because there were phones uh, on, on, um, on the plane and contact was being made with the ground, that the passengers, as they were huddled in the back, they learned what had happened as the other three flights had hit uh, buildings. And so they together uh, took a vote and decided they would rush the cockpit. And of course, I hope you know the story of Todd Beamer, who was a believer And as that line was patched in to the supervisor, to the phone supervisor, she said she heard him lead the group in the Lord's Prayer in reciting Psalm 23. And then his famous last words, let's roll. When you visit flight or when you visit the Flight 93 Memorial, you really don't see anything unusual. It's it's a field. And there's actually a boulder out there in the the center of this field, which is to mark the spot. Because you know that what ultimately happened is that they were successful and they were unsuccessful. They were successful in keeping the flight from reaching Washington. They were unsuccessful in wrestling back control. And so at 580 miles an hour, with the plane 767 flipped over, it crashed into this field. Now there are 45 white upright slabs with the names of the 44, sorry, 44, with the names of the 44 victims of Flight 93. And while I was there, I came across a handwritten note that said this, thank you for your bravery. You saved my father's life. He was in the Capitol on 9-11-2001. And what was strange for me is as I was walking into this, up to this ordinary field, a common field, I had a hard time choking back my tears. Why? Because this field, this common field, has been transformed into a field of honor, to honor those who had gone before and to teach the generations to come about what had happened on that fateful day. With that in mind, I'd like to turn our attention to Psalm 78, which is on page 531 in your pew Bible. If you'd like to follow along or if you need a Bible, page 531, Psalm 78. You know, you and I stand on the shoulders of men and women who've gone before us. Obviously, as a church, we stand on the apostles and their teaching. We also stand on the generals of, we might, might think of the uh, Reformation but there's also those who have gone before us here in New England and actually in Rhode Island and southern Massachusetts. And I bring that to our attention because I want us to think about that each generation has a responsibility to leave a legacy for the new generation. So would you look with me at Psalm 78? And I'm going to read, this is a long psalm. And I'm going to. T- we're going to read it throughout the sermon, and I just want to put your mind at ease. We're going to spend a lot of time on verses one to eight. Okay, so if you extrapolate out and you're worried about what time are we actually going to get out of here, I'll, I'll put your mind at ease. We're going to spend most of our time on one to eight. So let's hear God's word, Psalm seventy-eight. My people, hear my instruction. Listen to what I say. I'll declare wise sayings. I'll speak mysteries from the past. Things we've heard and known and that our fathers have passed down to us. We must not hide them from their children, but must tell a future generation the praises of the Lord. His might and the wonderful works he has performed. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. So that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. They were to rise up and tell their children so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works, but keep his commands. Then they would not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation whose heart was not loyal and whose spirit was not faithful to God. If you're taking notes this morning, our main point is this. God commands us to tell the next generation the works of God and the word of God so that they will trust, remember, and obey. I'll repeat that multiple times. God commands us to tell the next generation the works of God and the word of God so they'll trust, remember, and obey. And that's the outline. God commands us to tell the next generation the works of God and the word of God, so they'll trust, remember, and obey. Over the
1: course of our series here in the Psalms, we've been looking at book three and this track record of these sort of Psalms leading up to a point. And today's lesson We're looking back at at this psalm of Asaph. Again, I think this is a psalm of one of Asaph's descendants because of all of the references here of captivity, it seems to imply, as was Psalm 74, a psalm that was written after the Babylonian captivity. This would have been a time period where all of the people were taken out of Israel because of their defiance against the commands of God. And this Asaphite, this follower of Asaph, is passing on his his knowledge to the next generation, wanting, especially during this time of captivity, this time in Babylon, that they wouldn't forget their history, that they wouldn't take in the culture of Babylon, that they wouldn't then become Babylonian, that they would maintain their their identity as the people of God, even while they were outside of the land. And I think this is really important, and it bodes to the subject, again, of discipleship, as we see this as a descendant of Asaph, who had been passed on uh, this, this calling and this teaching and this position over and over again to understand and draw people into the, the worship in the temple. I think this is important. Especially as we consider the, the challenge to disciple the next generation. We heard from my good friend, Chap Bettis, today, and he's written an excellent book called The Disciple Making Parent, as well as being local here to New England. He's a resource that I think we underuse. I think we ought to share that resource more often. So, if you want to find out more about the Apollos Project and Chap Bettis, my good friend, in his book, The Disciple-Making Parent, please give our office a call. It's 508-362-7070. Because the primary discipler of their home, the primary disciple of the family, is the husband, the wife, the parent, the, the mother, the father, The older siblings to their children, the grandparents, the family unit is so crucial and often one that is overlooked. We go to our church, we have our church service, and we have our children's programs. It's easy for us to have this diffusion of responsibility where we outsource all of our teaching and our biblical training to a church. But really what we need to see more is that taking place at home. And these are some really great resources and a great reminder especially living here in New England, which can feel a lot like Babylon, I'm sure, where we feel like outsiders in our own country. We feel like exiles. We don't feel like we belong because we're, we're so small in number as a part of the community, where 50 counties are under 3% evangelical. Here is a reminder and encouragement. I think that this psalm, written in that time period, for us, reminds us the importance of passing on our faith to those who come behind us. I hope that we've been able to encourage you today. If we have, I hope that we'll hear from you. We'd love to hear from our listeners, but especially during this season, as we are fundraising, we need your prayers. We need your support. Would you consider giving back to the Songtime Ministry with your contribution, your donation? You can write to us at Songtime Radio, PO Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call. It's 508 362 7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. Don't forget to tune in again tomorrow. We'll continue our study as we're talking about how to train up the next generation as we hear from Chap Bettis how this is primarily the role and
0: responsibility of the fathers and the parents in the home. If God has allowed, given you the privilege of being a father, then he commands you to teach. It's just part of the job description.
1: On behalf of everyone here at Songtime and our late founder, Dr. John DeBrine, who has always encouraged you to grow in grace so that you won't groan in disgrace, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, Psalm 85, 4, and 7. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord and grant us your salvation.